we have not called for a solemn assembly today. And so your hearts may be full of joy at seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet I want to solemnly introduce the God of the Bible to you again, since he is so little known, even in the churches of this city. Please turn your Bibles to Amos chapter 1. Hosea, Joel, Amos, and the first chapter. God called me to preach his word. My job description is three words long. Preach the word. And that is all I have to give you today. God convicted me of that 43 years ago when I was 19 years old, that that's all that ought to come out of a pulpit is the word of God. And I have tried and am trying and will try to stay with that charge of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I have reminded you that there are 17 books that end the Old Testament called the Prophets. The first five of those books are called the Major Prophets because they are larger. And then the timing of the Prophets starts over again with the Minor Prophets, and there's 12 of them running from Hosea to Malachi. I want to read a couple of the contemporaries of Isaiah so that when we go through Isaiah 2 today, you will understand that his terminology and phraseology for the God of heaven is not very unusual. It's consistent with the other prophets that were preaching at the same time. So I read to you the first verse of Amos chapter 1 that gives us the timing of Amos. The words of Amos, who was a her- among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So Amos is preaching at the same time that Isaiah is preaching. It's that Isaiah is preaching to the southern kingdom of two tribes called Judah, and Amos is preaching to the ten tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now let's turn over to chapter 4 of Amos, and let me read some of the words of Amos to Israel. I'm going to ignore the first five verses, though they are very pleasant to read, as God mocks the Israelites for be, as being cattle, kine, and he calls them a cow. But that's in the first five verses. I want to go to verse 6, where he's going to list five ordinary chastenings that he's brought on Israel that did not work, so they're about to get the big one. And the big one was Assyria taking Israel captive. And the big one for Judah was Babylon taking them captive. So here we go. Verse 6, Amos chapter 4. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth. That means no food. I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew, 
when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses, and I have made the stink of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. I introduce to you, I reintroduce to you the God of the Bible. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Now, God had met Israel five different ways in verses 6 through 11, but he is pointing out that ordinary chastening was not going to remedy the situation just like Isaiah taught us last Sunday in chapter 1. Prepare to meet thy God, and it is going to be a terrible meeting. They are going to be looking for the caves of the rocks and for the dust of the earth to hide themselves from the face of Almighty God when once he is angry and arises. He sits back, and he lets men think that they are getting away with their sins, but he will arise. And when he arises to terribly shake the earth, and of course I don't mean that literally, because a literal shaking of the earth is irrelevant and insignificant and wouldn't do anything. But a real shaking. Prepare to meet thy God. Turn over a few books to Nahum. The book of Nahum. What a God. What a God. We're going to see him in detail in Isaiah chapter 2. I just want to show you, I want you to think about these prophets. I want to connect them all. While I'm preaching Isaiah to you, I'm going to appeal to these minor prophets so that you get all 17 of them, hopefully in your minds a little bit better than before we began this series. Nahum. It's it's the burden of Nineveh. The first four words give you its timing. It must come before, Nahum must have prophesied before the fall of Assyria. And there was no Babylon until Assyria fell, because Babylon replaced it. Assyria fell in the sixth year of Hezekiah. So Nahum is prophesying at the same time Isaiah is prophesying. I love these words. I was a 19-year-old young man, and the Lord got my attention. I have told you this story before, and I have told you very recently And I met some other men that loved the glory of God like he had revealed himself to me, and we had the time of our lives together at a university in this city before I ever had thoughts of being a pastor anywhere. And I won several rounds with Nahum chapter 1. Listen to this. 
I love those that love the glory of God. I made that decision decades ago. They're the special ones in the earth that love the glory of God. The burden of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds of the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. My brethren, this prophecy is against the capital of Assyria. Assyria had troubled Judah and Israel, and so God was going to destroy them. This is after Sennacherib. This is the final overthrow of Nineveh, the greatest city on earth at the time, situated in the Tigris River. Babylon had not yet become the great city of the world. It was Nineveh. And this is God speaking about what he would do to Nineveh. This is the God of the Bible. The God that is preached in most pulpits today is not the God of the Bible. They do not know the God of the Bible. This is the God of the Bible. And Isaiah 2 is going to take us into considering him further. But these words are glorious in their majesty of God's sovereign power over his enemies, especially verses 2, 3, 5, and 6. But as is common with the prophets, notice that in the midst of this blast, we have this comfort in one verse. Verse 7. The Lord is good. Now, wait a minute. I thought he was great in indignation, and the rocks were thrown down by him, and fury exploded from him. Well, that's all true. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Now he knows everything. When you find the word no in the Bible, there's a no that is far more than just consciousness or omniscience of men. It is an affectionate relationship toward them. And those that put their trust in him, he loves. And so there we are in verse 7, and there are the Ninevites in verses 1 through 6. God spared Nineveh in the days of Jonah. But that was 160 years before this. There was no sparing of Nineveh now. And then verse 8 goes right back to what he was saying. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. And so Nineveh is going to be overthrown with total darkness. The city is going to be destroyed. But we are in verse 7. But this is the God of the Bible. 
This is our God. This is the God that we can trust to help in the day of trouble. This is the God that we can trust against American politics. This is the God that we can trust against the former Soviet Union and their empty threats. This is the God we can trust if you have a disease. This is the God we can trust for financial problems, family problems, or any other issue. This is our God. And he will see us through this world and into the next by his mighty power. This is the God we're going to worship today, and he's our Father. He loves us, and we're in verse 7. He knoweth them that trust in him. He knows those that don't trust in him. If you're going to think about that statement in just bare knowledge, it's more than bare knowledge. When the Bible says Adam knew Eve and she bare Cain, did that mean he just knew where she was or her phone number? Or was it a little more intimate than that? And it's intimate with God. He knows us. And he has foreknown us. And he's always known us. To the wicked, he will say, I never knew you because he never loved them. I never knew you. He knew all about them. He knew every single detail of their lives. But he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let us pray and ask God to bless our worship of him today. O Lord Jehovah, God of hosts, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Father, we thank thee for the word of God. We thank thee that you have called us out of this world drawn us unto thyself, and have drawn nigh to us. We thank thee for saving us by the blood of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for putting thy Holy Spirit in us, giving us your scriptures, and putting us in this body, this temple of the living God. We thank thee that you have convicted us sufficiently, that we are here this day, that we love thy word, that we love the prophecies of Amos, and Nahum, that we understand that thou art great in thy sovereign majesty and power, and that your enemies, when once you arise, will be terrorized by your fierce judgments. We thank thee that you will destroy all your enemies and all our enemies. We thank thee that the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified Son of David, has destroyed death and abolished it as a penal punishment to us, your children. We thank thee that he has defeated the devil, and for this purpose he was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. We thank thee, Holy Father, that the second Adam has delivered us from the consequences of the first Adam. The first Adam brought sin and death upon all. The second Adam has brought righteousness and eternal life upon those you gave him. We thank thee, Holy Father, for thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For if the truth be told, and Heavenly Father, we tell it now to thee, we freely confess, we humbly bow before thee, that we are worse than the Ninevites. For we have known better and have sinned against a greater conscience than they had. 
O Lord, we are worse than the Israelites, for we have had the blessings of the better covenant and the better promises of the New Testament, and yet we have neglected them. O Lord God, we thank Thee for Jesus, our Savior. We thank Thee that Thou art good and a stronghold for us in the day of trouble. We do put our trust in Thee. We trust Thee for every aspect, every angle, and every level of our lives. Have mercy upon us. We hide ourselves in Thee. Thou art our covert from the storm. We love thy pavilion and the secret place of thy tabernacle where we might hide ourselves with thee. Now, Lord, this day we have assembled and come together to read and to preach thy word, to pray and to sing, to observe the Lord's Supper and remember his death for us, to fellowship with one another, to consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. Help us in these noble scriptural ambitions. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, wash us and make us clean, practically, that our fellowship with thee right now might be perfect. Let nothing hinder between thee and us. Let our singing, let our praying come up into thy holy presence enhanced by the Holy Spirit and by the incense of the angels of heaven. O Lord, have mercy upon us. We pray this same blessing upon every sincere church of the Lord Jesus Christ scattered abroad on the face of this earth that worship thee in spirit and in truth. Be with them as well. We ask no more for us than we ask for them. Strengthen, broaden, deepen, Protect and defend your kingdom this day throughout the earth. Now be with us, Lord. We need the power of Pentecost. We live in perilous times of the last days. By nature, we are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of thee. Save us. By nature, we have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Transform us. Be with us, Heavenly Father, we ask in Jesus' glorious name, the Lamb of God, amen.